Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay homage. When King Herod heard of this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so it, was, so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. May God add a blessing to this reading of the text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. Amen. As I told the children, uh, this is Epiphany, or we're celebrating Epiphany. Actually, tomorrow is the 12th day following Christmas. And uh, when we celebrate this story that's given to us through Matthew of uh, the wise men coming. But it's really, it's really a story about two reactions to Jesus coming into the world. There is the wise men, which we'll get to in a moment, but there is this King Herod business. And we, we talked a little bit about that last week when we see that after hearing this news that we read today in the time of King Herod, Herod did something drastic. And, um, but Herod, who is in Jerusalem at this time, was the imperial appointed king. In other words, um, he was appointed by Caesar, picked out, hand-picked. And the reason Herod was hand- he wasn't even fully Jew. I think he was half Jewish. He wasn't even uh, fully Jewish, let alone in the line of the kingship that uh, should have been there. He was appointed by Caesar. And the reason he was appointed by Caesar is because Caesar owed him a favor because Herod had lots of money. And so Herod bought his kingship and he was placed there in order to keep people in line. This is often what Rome did in the world in the first century 
world of the Roman Empire. They would take over a country, they would take over a territory or something like that, and then they would appoint someone as a puppet king to try and keep the rabble under control or to throw them a bone, but really it was just a puppet for uh, the imperial uh, people, the Caesar, and it was there to keep everyone happy. And this was the case with Herod. And for this service, he lived in extravagance and he enjoyed a lavish lifestyle of affluence, influence, and power. So for Herod, the coming of the Savior was not good news. <laughs> it meant he was going to be out of a job. It meant that his lifestyle, born on the back of his oppressed subjects, his oppressed people, was coming to the end. This is the message Matthew tries to convey by telling us in the time of Herod, the news of a king had come. A king to replace the king that Caesar had put in place. Now we could speculate a little bit that he feared not only for the loss of his lifestyle, but his very life. Uh, you know, in the, in the Roman world, if you were going to take over a throne, you would kill the last king so that you, you know, don't run into trouble later down the road. But of course, um, uh, that isn't what happened. But the common understanding of the time was that the Messiah would be this mighty warrior king who would come and free God's people from Roman oppression. Certainly that's what everyone was hoping for. And perhaps as a Roman collaborator, Herod feared of the inevitable reprisal that comes from such a Messiah. And in essence, what Herod was afraid of was the unknown and really how that would affect him. Herod didn't feel oppressed by the Romans. So what did he need a Savior for? He didn't. Herod feared the changes that would come in the wake of this new political situation. Herod didn't want to lose his place, his standing, his peace, his stability, even if it meant freedom and salvation and peace and stability for the people he was appointed to represent. Even if it meant a more equitable society. Even if it meant the favor of God and the blessings of Yahweh. In his fear, Herod conceived a plot to thwart the plans of God and to change the destiny of the people of God. And I'm sure that Herod may have been even shocked himself in this story when he decided to have all the children in Bethlehem eliminated. But desperation can cause people to do unbelievable things. Herod may have even convinced himself that he was somehow justified, feeling righteous in his stance, and his position may have even found some scriptures to back himself up may have even felt like he was standing up for freedom somehow and 
skewed all of that language to serve his own purpose in order to keep his world from changing. You know, it's weird. I could be talking about a lot of things today, couldn't I? <laughs> it's weird that way. A lot of things have changed, but a lot of things have not changed. And what we see in Herod is the reality that fear drives people to do desperate things, things they would not do otherwise. Fear also can often stop us in our tracks and cause us to freeze up. And when this kind of fear strikes, we become like a leaf blown in the wind, just being carried along by the circumstances. Fear can stop us from persevering. In order to keep going through difficulty, one must have hope that one can find success. Fear can steal this hope and cause us to just give up our hope. Fear tells us that we are powerless to change things. Fear tells us that we are unable to address the problems of this world. And that it would be better to just wait. Fear can cause us to take extraordinary steps to keep things from changing. This is again what Herod has been doing. Even if that change is positive. We can see this in so many parts of life. In relationships, people with unhealthy relationships often react out of fear and as a result they continue in their dysfunction and their unhealthy relationship. In business, fear can cause people to behave in unethical and illegal ways to accomplish what they want. In churches even, fear can cause people to mount up against one another over some aspect of the church that has changed or is changing. And it was this kind of fear that drove Herod to conspire against the children of Bethlehem. However, Herod is not the only character here. It's not the heart of this story today, is it? Amen. There came from the east wise men to Jerusalem, the Magi. And it's interesting that the prophecies about the coming Messiah were so compelling that even these foreigners came to take a look and took notice. The east that Matthew talks about uh, wants, Matthew wants to put in our mind Persia of the time, what is now modern Iran. And I say that because it is Persia where 587 years before the Hebrew people were taken into exile. I think Matthew wants us to go back to that time and in our minds imagine that during the time of exile, the Hebrew king, the tales of the Hebrew king were told, and those stories somehow took on their own life in Iran and in Persia at the time. The Magi came out of that land looking for the king. They did not sit back to wait and see what would happen, but they went forward and they, as if to say, This is something big. And I want to be a part of it. In Matthew's story, it probably took years out of their lives to come and see what God is doing. To come and see what was happening in a far off foreign land that they've never been to before. Not only did they seek the Messiah out, but they came bearing gifts. They came seeking not what the king could do for them, 
They came not asking for anything except an audience in order that they may pay homage and offer their gifts. Not any gifts either. Very valuable, very practical gifts. Gold, the most valuable of metals. Frankincense, an ancient and sought after incense. And myrrh, a salve with great healing properties. Gifts worthy of a king and useful to even poor Jesus in his ministry. If Herod in this story represents fear, the Magi from the East represent the opposite of fear. They represent hope. They represent faith. They represent a longing and desire for the best of all possible worlds. They represent imagination and the possibilities and the potential that this Hebrew king might represent. We, as followers of Christ, like the Magi who actively sought out Jesus, desiring only to receive an audience and bring what they had, we have a chance to seek Him out as well. We each who claim Jesus are called to a life of seeking Christ, not just passively receiving the bits of Jesus that are easy to get at, but to actively seek out an audience with the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, Emmanuel, God with us. Let me say that for most, coming to Sunday worship and receiving what God is presenting here is pretty easy. I mean, I know, I know you argue with me on that point once in a while, but it's really, you know, how much does it really cost you here? It is another story altogether to come looking for Jesus on Sunday morning and to actively expect to meet Jesus here every Sunday morning. I, I wonder how many of us come really expecting much. I mean, I know this puts a lot of pressure on me, but I think we ought to come into church hoping to experience something profound, life transforming. I hope we come into this sanctuary expecting to meet Jesus anew and to know him deeply and intimately. Even more significant is to go out into that world around us, into our daily lives, looking for ways to engage Jesus every day. Seeking Him in His Word. Seeking Him in spiritual fellowship. Seeking Him in deliberate and effective prayer. Seeking Him in the, the people in which we come in contact with. Seeking Him in the, in the co-worker. Seeking Him in our spouse or our children or our parents. Seeking Him in the lady at the cash register or the guy working on our car. Or that guy who cuts you off in the intersection. What if that was Jesus? You wouldn't be so quick with that gesture, would you? <laughs> How do we seek Him in our everyday lives? 
Seeking Jesus is not easy. Like the Magi, it can come, it can be an all-consuming activity that takes us far from where we are used to being. Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Judea, very different than Persia, I gotta say. What is significant is the blessing we receive when we seek Him. Not asking what we can get, but what we can give. Perhaps it is news, but I promise you, each one of us has something to offer Jesus. Each one of us has something to bring to furthering the kingdom of God. Each one of us has something to give out of ourselves to a God who loves us so deeply and so truly and so faithfully. Our devotion, our loyalty, our time, our talent, our treasure, our whole our heart, soul and mind and strength each are costly and wonderful gifts that are worthy of this king the attitude of what what i can bring to christ is the antithesis of what herod sought this attitude will make the changes that are the norm in christianity and church so much easier if you're asking what can i bring to this pursuit of a of a better world and a kingdom of god and a better understanding of our place in this world those changes won't seem so crazy this attitude will create a heart that is open to finding christ in new and unusual places this attitude will help belay the fear of the unknown and the fear of the uncomfortable. This attitude will make each of us an ally to all that God has in store for the future and not a foe to the new things that God is doing in the world today. And God is doing a lot of new things in the world today. Many of them just as striking as a baby being born who is called King of the Jews. We open our eyes. We can see God at work and the Kingdom of God, the Commonwealth of God is moving forward. In spite of Herod, in spite of all the fear and the hatred and the loathing, it's really about the fear. People are so afraid, but our fear will not stop the kingdom of God, and our love and loyalty will build the kingdom of God. As we, you, you can say amen, that's fine. <laughs> As we consider the story of the Magi this morning, it's an opportunity to ask ourselves, how will we seek Christ in our everyday, in the future, 
as one who would come alongside, bringing all the resources we have to further the cause of Christ in the hearts and the minds of our community, of our world. What will we do to combat the fear that seems to drive the world around us? Or are we also going to sit back and wait and let the fear consume everyone around us? There are two reactions to Jesus in this story today. Herod and the Magi. We also are invited to react to the coming of Jesus into our world. I pray you come like the Magi. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we do come to You this morning as You come to us anew, born again in this season of new life, of new things, of new changes. May we be allies of the Kingdom of God. May we face down any fears we have And may we stand against the fears of others, choosing love, choosing to bring all that we have to bear to that commonwealth, that kingdom of God that you came and you lived for, you died on a cross for, and you rose again for. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.